Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture reading comes to us from 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. And as you listen to these words, I want you to think about the history of the church. Confession has always been a part of it. Sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. So just reflect on that as you listen to these words. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Here ends the reading. Last year, Phoenix police officers shot at 15 people. Twelve of them ended up dying. And yet, that's actually good news? Try to wrap your hand around that one. Why? Because in 2018, Phoenix police officers shot at 44 people. Half of them, 22 of them, ended up dying. So that, between 2018 and 2019, there was a 66% drop. But before we get too excited about that, number one, in 2018, the Phoenix Police Department was number one in our country as far as shooting at citizens. And then in 2019, even though that percentage had dropped, we were still among the highest of those cities that are comparable size to what we are. One out of every thousand black men have the possibility, the very, very real possibility, that they will be killed by a police officer. We realize, perhaps in a new way, unfortunately, that we've got a problem. That in the United States, we have a policing problem. Now, I don't want you to feel that I am anti-police. I'm not. And I can support individuals who are police officers and encourage them in the difficult task that they have to provide and care for our communities. And I can also admit that we have a policing problem. And that impacts you and I because we are Christians. And when Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly— He didn't mean one particular people group. 
He wasn't talking about one ethnicity. Jesus said that he he came so that all people would have life and have it abundantly. So how does that happen? Given the current situation we are in, which isn't anything new, it happens again and again and again. Given that situation, as Christians, what can we do to make certain that everyone has the opportunity to live their life to the fullest. So I offer you four things to consider. That maybe by putting them in place in our lives individually, that we might be able to make a difference in the larger community in which we live. So here we go. Number one. Awareness. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Tony, you talked about awareness last week. Yes, and I will continue to talk about awareness because before change can take place, we have to be aware of what the problem is, of what we're dealing with. And so the first thing to do is to understand for yourself and become aware of what you are feeling. For some time, I avoided watching the video that captures the death of George Floyd. I told myself I just don't want to expose myself to violence. That was a lie. Because I do watch TV shows, I watch movies that depict violence all the time. I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to see it. I eventually watched it. And as I watched it, I was aware of what I was feeling emotionally. And so that becomes that first step of awareness. If you have not watched that video, take the time and see it. And as some of you may say, no, 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 I don't want to, because once I see it, I can't unsee it. That's why you have to see it. Because you need to be aware of what feelings, what emotions arise within you as you watch a man struggling to breathe and eventually die. And then ask yourself how you feel as you watch the protests on TV. Or perhaps you've actually even gone to a protest. And become aware of what emotions you are feeling. What emotions are you experiencing as you watch on TV or perhaps in person see the looting that is taking place? What emotions are being evoked by that? What emotions are being evoked for you as you watch police use excessive force in dealing with peaceful protesters. This evening, perhaps, while you're watching the news, whatever channel you watch, wherever your source of news comes from, be aware of how you feel emotionally as you watch what's happening in our nation and throughout the world right now. And then last of all, be aware of how you feel emotionally as you watch our political leaders 
give us different takes, different ideas about what we're experiencing. Now, as you become aware of these emotions that you are feeling in these different situations, number one, don't judge yourself. Don't, 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 please don't say, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that. Instead, be curious. Ask yourself, I wonder why am I feeling this way? Where is this coming from? So don't judge those feelings, just be curious about them, because that is the first step in bringing about change, is we have to be aware of what's going on inside of ourselves. That's the first thing we can do. Second, acknowledge. Acknowledge that how we see policing and racism and how we see the deaths that take place by police officers and the resulting protest, how we see them and how the police see them are different. Pew Research did a survey and they, they surveyed police officers as well as public citizens. The first one they asked was based on the views on deaths of blacks during encounters with police in recent years and the protest that many of these incidents ignited. Here's how they were seen by police officers and by the regular common citizen. 67% of the police describe these deadly counters as isolated incidents rather than signs of a broader problem between blacks and police. 67% of police. That includes both black and white. On the other side, 39%, only 39% saw them as single incidents. Do you see the disparity? Here's another one as far as what racial progress we are making. How, for example, when police and the public are asked if the country has made the changes needed to give blacks equal rights with whites, they ask the police officers and then they ask the public. Eight in 10 police officers believed that the necessary changes have been made. Eight in 10, that's 80%. Now, if you took that and broke it down, 92% of white police officers believe that we've made the necessary changes, whereas only 29% of black officers believe we've made the right changes. But on contrast to that, about half, 48% of the public, believe that we've made the right changes. 48 versus 80 percent. And of that 48 percent, 57 percent of white people believe we've made the right changes to deal with racism. And only 12 percent of blacks believe we've made the right changes. You're talking about disparity. That disparity is not only between police officers 
and the common citizen. But it's also a disparity between how white police officers and white citizens see the problem and how black police officers and black citizens view the situation we are in. So that's one of the things we can acknowledge is to just simply understand that how the police see our world and how we see the world as citizens don't agree. The second thing we can acknowledge is that as a white person, my encounter with the police department or police officers is different than a black person. My wife and I just got back from a short hiatus, partly work, partly vacation. We were driving back from Nebraska, and as we went through the beautiful state of Colorado, I got pulled over by a police officer. I woke my wife up and I said, I think I just bought a ticket. Once I pulled over to the side of the road, I reached up and I grabbed my mask and I put it on. I reached over into the glove box to pull out the registration and then boom, it hit me. I didn't think anything. Now, now I had the natural trepidation of being pulled over, if you remember what that feels like. That little bit of a fear, this authority figure, you got your hand slapped as you were reaching the cookie jar. That feeling was there. But I wasn't scared for my life. And I imagine the police officer behind me probably wasn't afraid. He saw this middle-aged, white, bald man and didn't see me as a threat. And yet, black men are taught, black men are taught that when you are pulled over, you put your hands at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock and you don't move them. And when the police officer comes up, you leave your hands there. And when they ask for the registration, you tell the officer, I am now taking my hand off and moving it slowly over to the glove box to get my registration. You do everything very intentionally and very slowly. You see how I experience police and how a black man experiences police are totally different. When you call the police department, more than likely you see them as coming to your aid. They're coming to help you, to provide with you a sense of safety. In the black community, they do everything they can to avoid calling the police. Because by calling the police, they realize they are taking the chances that someone is going to die. We have to acknowledge this. Last thing we have to acknowledge. Policing is rooted in a deep sense of racism. Think back. In the South, policing arose out of what is called slave patrols. Once 
slaves were emancipated. They came up with laws to control slaves, even though they were free, so that they can continue to use them and make money off of them. And so normal citizens became a part of this slave patrol. They could come into your house anytime they wanted under the guise of looking for a slave. And that's in the south. In the north, police departments came about as a way of protecting industries. And as black individuals made the trip from down south to the north, hoping for freedom from oppression and violence, instead, they became the recipients of violence. Our policing in this nation comes out of racism. We have to acknowledge that. But please understand that I am not saying that individual police officers are all terrible people. However, we have to understand we've got a problem. And remaining silent isn't going to help us. We have to acknowledge the facts, especially as white people. We need to read about this. We need to understand this. Otherwise, we will not be able to follow in the steps of Jesus when he said, I came that all people, black, brown, black, white, it doesn't matter. All people are to live into the fullness of life and given that opportunity. Third thing we can do to help bring about this sense of fullness of life for everyone is we need to make confessions. As I was preparing for this sermon, this is the one point I did not want to talk about. Because as soon as I hear the word confess, it just creates all this inner turmoil of emotions. Because the way that I was raised in the text that we had read for us from 1 John, we were to confess our sins to God. Every night as a child, I remember kneeling beside the bed with my, one of my parents, and we would come to prayers, and we had to confess our sins. As I got older, I quit kneeling because my parents weren't in there, so I'd lay in bed and pray. And as I laid there in bed, I knew I had to confess my sins, and I knew, according to that text in the Bible, that if I say that I not have sinned, then I have sinned. So I would rack my brain trying to figure out what sin I had done for that day. And so there is a repulsion within me when it comes to this idea of confessing what is wrong. If you grow up believing that you are not a good person, then to have to continue to make confessions even makes it worse. But if we're ever going to create a world where every single person can live into the fullness of life, if we're ever going to create that world, we as white people have to make confession. There's a black theologian, and I did that on purpose, because there in my life, I need to hear from black theologians. 
because they have a different perspective on God and humanity than I do. This black liberation theologian by the name of James Cohn says the following, those who still benefit from the structural inequalities in the American justice, economic, and educational systems want mercy and forgiveness, but not repentance and reparation. They want resurrection, but not the cross. We as white people have to be willing to confess what we find within ourselves. I'm a racist. I have to confess that. I'm a racist in that I allow systemic racism, institutional racism, to continue in our nation, and I have remained silent. I am a racist in my subconscious. I grew up in Southern California. Some of my best friends, black, Asian, Hispanic. And yet, in my mind, I still have those thoughts will occasionally creep up from back here, up into here. I don't act on them, but they're there. And when we are willing to confess that we are racist, each and every one of us, doesn't matter the color of your skin, we are racist. When we confess that, then we can find the power of the resurrection, a new life, a new way of looking at things. The other thing I need to confess is my white privilege. You know, when that word first came out, this idea of white privilege, I was really uncomfortable with that, especially as a minister. I watched some of the other UCC churches doing classes on white privilege, and then again I thought, you know, I wish they would use a different word because it just creates this anxiety and it makes white people feel bad. It made me feel bad. Here's what white privilege is. Privilege is about the instant assumptions people make about you, your worth, your honesty, your intelligence, based simply on the color of your skin. When people see me in public, they don't know who I am. They see a white guy, bald hair with tattoos. That's nothing, nothing compared to people of color. And whatever misjudgments or stereotyping I receive, it is nothing. Because I'm still a white man. Travis Getty, who's a news editor, said the following, white privilege 
is so deeply ingrained in America life that institutionalized racism doesn't even need racists to persist. And so we need to confess that we have privileges and we've taken advantage of those. And perhaps one of the greatest ways that we've taken advantage of them is through our silence. So we've talked about being aware. We've talked about acknowledgement, becoming informed. We've talked about in confession. But here's the exciting news, that fourth point. What we can do to make certain that every single individual has the opportunity to live their life to the fullest, something that Jesus wanted, and that we have to see the possibilities that lie ahead for us. This last week, we saw two amazing things happen here in Phoenix. Now, they're small, but they're steps at least in the right direction. Our police chief has said that the police officers will no longer be able to use chokeholds. The city council voted to approve funding for a citizen overview entity to watch and put a checks on police officers and their actions. We passed that a week ago or so, but we passed it without funding. But this week, they decided to fund it. Now, again, we, we can complain and say, well, they didn't give it enough money or they haven't decreased the budget for the police department. I, I, and I hear the arguments for that, both sides. But at least we're making steps in the right direction. So we can see the possibilities. And each and every one of us has the responsibility to make certain that it continues in the right direction. And the other possibility that you and I have with our white privilege is we can talk to other people of privilege, other white people. And when you're in a conversation and you hear something that isn't right, don't remain silent. You can give your opinion. You can disagree with, with someone in a way with compassion and care and love. Jesus, he did it all the time. But don't remain silent. Use your privilege to help other people understand the situation that black people, that minorities continue to find themselves in. And here's the other one that's exciting. We are on the brink of experiencing something that has never happened in this country before. Within the next perhaps 10 to 20 years, us white people will find ourselves in the minority group. Now, I know there's some white people that find that very off-putting and threatening. I find it really exciting. So we have the possibilities right now 
to make inroads in that direction. In Matthew chapter 25, the writer tells a parable about Jesus. It's a parable of the sheep and the goats. The setting is that of a last judgment, something that in that time many Jewish individuals believed. And in this judgment scene of separating the sheep from the goats, there's a criteria given by which that separation will take place. And the writer has Jesus tell us that it's based upon how they treated those in prison, how they treated the orphans, how they treated the widows. And I think, this is just my opinion, that as Christians, we've taken that text so literally that we've missed perhaps what the writer was really trying to tell us. The writer was trying, in my opinion, to tell us that Jesus was interested in the least in the society. Jesus says that he came to give us life, an abundant life. But in order to make that happen, Jesus also understood that it had to start with the least in the society. Jesus also said, he who has eyes, let him see. We see what's happening. We see how the least in our country are being treated. And you and I have the possibility, we have the opportunity to continue the tradition that Jesus set forth for us. That we might live, all of us, abundantly. That every single person will have the opportunity to live their life to the fullest. That they will be able to make choices that will be able to, they can pursue that. Folks, this is what Christianity is all about. So please, please become aware. Acknowledge what you see going around you. And in the quietness of your room, make your confession. And then rise up from your knees and find the possibilities that are before you. And take the steps that are required in following Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society.